Hey, Startup Nation, I am so glad you came back to join us for another edition of The Startup Life. You clearly are ready to get the tools you need to get ahead of the competition. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating while you're here. Now, if you're looking for an ad-free experience, go ahead and sign up for our Patreon page, where you will get exclusive content and access to our digital products that we're beginning to launch. The link is there in the show notes. And if you want to ask questions directly to some of our guests, follow the Startup Life Podcast Club on Clubhouse as some of our conversations will start to happen. Happen there. But back to the task at hand. Are you ready to level up? Of course you are. Get ready as the Startup Life Podcast begins now. It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson and this is the Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we always hear people who are like, you know, great at marketing and stuff like that. But one of the things that I always kind of see uh, and have seen people having the trouble with is marketing with the B2B, you know, that business-to-business type of marketing, right? Because that's a different beast than like B2C, business-to-consumer, which is why we have a fantastic guest here on the show. He is the CEO and founder of Cascade Insights, a company he co-founded in 2006. He is Sean Campbell, SC. How's it going, my man? Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate uh, the value and, the, uh, and your time today. Uh, and before we kind of get started and what we're going to talk about today, man, look, the t- past year has been a little crazy, right? You know, I think that's, you know, that's the understatement. Uh, but I've found that a lot of people have been like taking lessons uh, from the past year, the past 12, 13, 14 months, however you want to look at it. What are some lessons, Sean, that you've been, that you've kind of, uh, kind of learned over the past year for yourself, either personally or professionally? That's a great question. I've been telling people all year long, um, you know, you got to look for blessings even in the worst of times, right? And nobody wants COVID now or has wanted it to be in play for the last year plus, depending on how you count it. Right. But um, actually one funny thing on that, by the way, before we get into a more serious thing, just because I, I love sharing this, you know, sure. people have tried to figure out uh, when COVID got real, right? And everybody's mm. got their own date. You know, some people say it's like when Tom Hanks got it, right? Or right. when they had to cancel the NBA games mm-hmm. or, you know, take your pick. Those are I saw ones. a hilarious article, <laughs> article the other day that was, um, this guy said he should date it on the date when um, remote Oregon ended up getting... Um, all of these job postings and the story behind this. And it's really hilarious, actually, just a quick vignette is that there's this town in Oregon and I'm from Oregon and it's called remote Oregon Mm. and remote Oregon has like literally 10 people in it, like literally 10 people. Right. And the problem is guess what happened on indeed when Netflix and Facebook and Google said you can work remote. Uh, All the job postings showed up as residing in remote Oregon. (laughs) So, so, for the last year, remote Oregon is the job capital of the United States. Like literally to this day, if you go into like Indeed or these job posting engines and you right. type like, you know, I want a remote job. And the guy that wrote this medium post was hilarious. And he says, I feel like a doofus. He said all year long, I've said to myself, I don't want to move to remote Oregon. There's nobody there. <laughs> and I don't want it. And he's like, why would I do that? Yeah, it's a job for Netflix. Why would I go to remote Oregon? Right. You know, and. Um, and so his point is, he says, we should date it at the time the Wikipedia entry was updated for remote Oregon saying 
job postings are being redirected to remote Oregon, which was some date in March, last March. And so I thought that's date is as good as any from my perspective. But um, but in all seriousness, um, yeah, you have to look at blessings, right? Because otherwise you just grind it out. And it, it's already been stressful enough for business owners and individuals and family members. And, 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 and that's for people who didn't lose someone, right? I mean, the tragedy of that right. exceeds any of the business problems that anybody has, obviously, by, you know, 1,700 orders of magnitude. But let's say you didn't lose a loved one. And it's just been kind of a really tough thing to go through kind of mentally in a lot of ways. Um, what can you look to as positives? And I think there's, there's several, I think one of the biggest ones that somebody brought up to me the other day, uh, that I thought was kind of hilarious is they said, we've all become better writers as business people. Right. And, uh, because the hallway chat went away, the like, Hey Fred, what do you think about my idea went away? Right. And one guy, when I mentioned to him a couple of weeks later, he said, yeah, you're right. I realized a lot of my colleagues are dumber than I thought. Uh, cause they can't, they can't write a cogent email right. and actually ask me a question, right? They don't know how to do that. And so I think we've all been forced to write a little better. I think, um, I think there's a lot of other fringe benefits too. I think, um, this hasn't played out in every family, but I think, um, a number of families might, might look back and say, you know, that, that was kind of nice to have all that time with each other. And I realized in a family where things weren't going well, that that could have been a, a horrific thing. You didn't want to have that much more time together, but, but I'm talking about the people that, you know, life was reasonably okay in their family environments. And now they got a lot of quality time with their teenager. They might not have. Right. Right. So and there's all those personal things from a business standpoint, outside of the writing, I, I, I think anyone who invested in marketing in a deep way before the crisis has massively benefited. And anybody who didn't, and I'm thinking now particularly of like smaller professional service firms like us, because we're a 25 person services firm and, and right. services firms as a rule, unlike us, uh, although we got religion on it five, six, seven years ago for our own marketing. So we, we also were like the people I'm going to mention here in a minute for a long time. You know, you think about businesses, referral business, you don't really, you know, your website uh, exists to not disqualify you, as somebody once said, right? It's got to be there, but be there, but it doesn't really sell you as much. And that was us a long time ago. And uh, we invested really, really heavily in a lot of great marketing long before the pandemic. And the biggest benefit we saw was increased growth. I mean, oddly enough this year, uh, especially in the later half of the year. And I, and I know one of the things that drove it, because people would say it, is they'd say, normally I go meet a vendor in the hallway or I'd go meet him for coffee or even the vendor I like dealing with, I don't get to see as much anymore. So I went to Google because everybody uses Google as their therapist. Right. 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 And, and he went out and started searching and there we were. And um, I even had a guy in our market the other day uh, come to me. I won't say who, because uh, he's thinking about coming to work for us actually, potentially. And I, I like the guy. So if he's listening to this show someday, he's either <laughs> here or not here. You he can hear this. But he, he said to us, he said, I use you guys as an example all the time. I said, we don't spend any, any time on marketing. And I feel like we're way behind on that. And, and that's somewhat unique to services firms. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think there's a, and I can talk more specifically about specific tactics we think that worked really well during COVID and sure. ones that didn't. Um, or we can talk about B2B marketing in general or 
owning services firms or anything at all you want to talk about. No, we can definitely talk about all of the above. You know what I mean? Because, you know, uh, there was a lot of people, you know, who, uh, you know, as a podcaster, we know a lot of us had saw a lot of marketing dollars kind of dry up. You know what I mean? From our standpoint, you know what I mean? I, I, talking to a lot of, you know, with a lot of podcast groups and forums and stuff like that, uh, you know, but also in, in that same vein, a lot of people have have thrived. Uh, during the pandemic, not from a standpoint of like thriving and like, you know, uh, you know, on the backs of people who are suffering, nothing like that. But more so, like like you said earlier, they positioned themselves well before uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, so I guess I'm curious about some of those tactics that kind of led to that, if you don't mind uh, sharing that, Sean. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing is you got to be narrow. Right. Um, and, and that's a good one. And and. And I'll tell a little story on that. Sure. It was the first time I learned it. I was talking to a guy, a vice president in HP, good guy. I'll even mention his name because I, I, I think we have a good relationship. And he, this was happened a long time ago. And he probably, if you listen to this show, he'd probably be like, oh, that's funny. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Guy's it. name is Paul Logue. Great guy. Mm-hmm. And I was a younger service firm owner. And I rolled into his office and I started doing the thing. A lot, of, a lot of people do, not just services. Like, well, we can help with that. We can help with that. We can help with that. And here's the thing. All those things were true. We could. We really could. I was in the right lanes. I wasn't like getting out there and saying I could paint his house when I don't know how to paint his house. Right. right. I was like in the right lane. And he holds his hand out. Never a good sign. Right. His client holds their hand out and starts talking like you did something wrong. And so, and he says, look, I know you want to keep the aperture wide open. Mm-hmm. And then right then I'm like, oh, and he's like, but I really need to know specifically how you can help us. And it may, meanwhile, part of me is churning because I'm like, well, I just told you all these specific ways we can help you. And these right. are ways we can do it. But what he was getting at is like the only way you're going to get in here is if you're like a saber and I can stick you in one spot over time, you can grow and you can get other places. And um, and this is true of product and services firms, but I think it's particularly true of services firms where they um, they tend to have this mentality like, hey, we got a bunch of smart people and we can do anything, mm. right? Um, I, I, even in other industries, right? Not the one we're in. We hired a general contractor recently to come out and take a look at a few things around our house. We're living here for 20 years. We love the place, but you know, needs a paint job. The deck needs a little work, whatever. And before I know it, the guy's like, yeah, we do that. We do that. Yeah, I got a contract for that. We do that. We do that. Meanwhile, I got another guy who's like, the only thing I do is painting. I love to paint. Right. Okay. Well, who do you think I'm going to hire? Right. Right. And what happens is the owner themselves is really the problem there. They do not know how to limit and say no. That's where it starts. Mm. And, and the benefit out of that is that when people do use Google as their therapist and they're looking out for vendors and they're like, can you solve my problem? They're always going to pick the vendor speaking directly to them. Right. They just are, it's especially in B2B. Like B2C is a little different. There's a million things you buy in B2C that you don't really care who gives it to you. Right. 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 I mean, to some extent, you don't care. There's a million things in your, in your kitchen cabinet in your house that could come in a white box with black lettering and you wouldn't care. Right. Right. But the flip side of that is increasingly we do. Um, I started calling this like the age of narrow. I, I, and I don't mean narrow thinking. But got enough of that. But like I meant more, everybody likes things to be narrow when they're delivered to them. Like, like you're, you look at a person's Netflix queue, it looks completely different than somebody else's. 
somebody's watching Russian sci-fi and the other person's watching historical period dramas. Right. And that's all they do all day long. Right. Right. And, and buyers, even in B2B, even in like, you know, supposedly more intellectual business to business, they want to very clearly see that you have narrowed out on something. And then the other reason I think this is important, and then we could talk about something else or dig deeper into this. The other reason I think it's super important is, and this part's a little sad, is people don't trust content. Mm. They just don't anymore. I mean, I and and you may have a stream you like, but if you ask yourself, what's your initial reaction when you read something? I would say we've unfortunately changed, I'd say most of the world, but let's keep it to America. Most of America where you read stuff and you're looking for where it's not active. You know, if you look at a product page, you're looking for what does it not do before you look at what it does do, right? right? We're all kind of trained this way. It's why we go to Amazon and we sort by negative reviews mm-hmm. first, right? Right, that's um, true. And, and so like the reason I say all that is if you're narrow and you're saying, I, you're saying I don't think else, but I do do this for you and you make that super explicit like it does on our website, it creates trust automatically. They don't have to look for what you don't do. You just told them. Right. And, and I, I've seen this play out like hundreds and hundreds of times where like if somebody just bothers for their product or their service to just on their home page, like actually say what it doesn't do. And, and that's the litmus test, by the way, because you could go to a million web pages and never see any language that says what they don't do. You just wouldn't find it. Right. But if you put it there, what you actually find is, well, you don't get the customers you want anyway. That's true. Or you can't really serve today. Right. And you actually went out against the guys that are super broad. And so I've, I've just kind of coined that the age of narrow all the time, because unfortunately, whether it's business owners who don't know how to say no, or it's marketers who just say, you know, sure, we can market that. Or it's a salesperson who says a little more than they should and kind of extends thing in the wrong direction. Um, you know, it, it, it's a problem that's just kind of endemic. And I think if these people were just a little more patient, and a little more narrow, they'd actually find they get more revenue over the long haul. And, and to tie it back to COVID, sure. Um, that's what helped us. People came through and they were like, you guys are a very appropriately narrow casted vendor. I need you. One of the best things I love to hear when we talk to a new lead is, I mean, I, the first part of this you wish you didn't hear, but that's just life sometimes, is they might say, I didn't hear of you guys before I started looking, but the minute I saw you, I knew I needed to talk to you. And that's the age of Nero. It's just like you see some new new Russian sci-fi movie and you're into it on Netflix and it shows up in the queue. You're like, add and hit play. Right. And that's what you want from your marketing. For sure. For sure. No, I, <clears throat> I definitely understand. And I, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, we actually, we've recorded this episode, uh, but we haven't released it yet. We talked to uh, uh, Rob Barnett. Rob Barnett, Barnett is a, is a head hunter, right? But you know, it looks for like people to fill jobs and stuff like that. And he says some of the people that are, you know, who, who he like kind of rolls his eyes at a little bit, uh, is the people who like say, I do this, 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 right? He's just like, man, just pick one, right? You know, like you said, like with the painter, he used the roofing analogy, but you said the painter, it makes the, the, uh, the same, uh, uh, point. If you will, Star Nation, I hope you caught that. Like, be narrow. Uh, that's super important. So, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Sean, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. It applies to everything, and, right, and, it does. and like I said, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a few things there that 
that drive it kind of psychologically these days. But um, but yeah, that's that. So but, where would you like to go next? But but it also, you know, at, at the same time is like it, that's, you know, it makes it easier for yourself. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you're not like all over the place. You know what I mean? So I, I definitely uh, un- understand that. I, I want to talk about B2B marketing in particular, because, you know, we have a lot of people out here. I mean, you've probably seen the the the, the Facebook uh, videos and stuff like that, like, you know, marketing gurus and funnels and, and stuff like that. But every time I, I, me personally, and this is just what I come to is every time I see, and I ask somebody, ask those marketing gurus about like marketing to B2B is like, it's, you know, it's like crickets, you know what I mean? And you talked about being narrow, you know what I mean? But I guess I'm curious, what are some of those other tenants? Because we have a lot of people out there who are trying to get government contracts they're trying to service other great uh uh, businesses and stuff like that now what are some of those other things besides being narrow that if i'm marketing to another business that i need to be mindful of that i wouldn't necessarily have to be mindful of if i'm going b to c yeah that's a good question well one of the things is that um and this is super important is that in b2b the buying committee might be it depends on what statistic you look at. Right. But the buying committee you're selling to might be anywhere from five, six, seven, eight people. And I would say from a pragmatic standpoint, it's probably more like two or three that really matter. Mm. And um, and that's very different than B2C. You know, B2C, yes, you and your spouse have to agree on a paint color. Right. Or, but realistically, in many relationships, not to be you know, overly specific about it. Let me just talk about my house. My wife's going to pick the paint color. Oh, that's I'm going to be an that's my house too. Today. So I get that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to pick the paint color. That's her deal, right? And so, um, and and so you have a, a fairly quick fall off on people that really matter as influencers in B 2 C. And I don't mean influencers as in like rock star influencers of a product. I mean like people who influence your buying decision, like in your circle of people you specifically know. And so that's the that's the biggest difference. The other thing is. There's a lot of impulse buy differences. You know, B2C, you can kind of buy anything, add to cart right away. Right. B2B is going to take a while, which means that buying committee is going to take a while to make decisions. And I say all that because one of the biggest mistakes even our clients make in B2B marketing is that um, they will sometimes confuse the individual who is signing the check with being the most important person to market to. And that's a catastrophic mistake. Mm. Um, and, and how that comes to be is, you know, marketing and sales get together in a room and they talk about like who matters most. And sales tends to remember the person that was kind of the end of the movie, right? If sales is a movie, the penultimate battle at the end was with the sea level, right? Mm, and right. so it's like, <laughs> I need information to convince the sea level. What everybody forgets is, the person who was using Google as their therapist, it wasn't the C-level. The person who actually found you was probably somebody with like a manager title, right? Or somebody lower down in the org that got delegated to go find people. And so it's an interesting conundrum, right? right. Yes, your marketing needs to talk to you, but it needs to talk to the right person. So what we see a lot of times is companies will kind of like, their marketing will be oriented too high, mm, okay. right? It'll yeah. be way too high when really they need to talk to more base needs um, that align with a lower level person in the org, right? Now you can have collateral on the site that that person can then access, you know, download this thing to give to your boss, blah, 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 blah. But if you're thinking about that person scanning through Google and they're looking for you, 
Are you writing those meta and those blog posts and those titles and those landing pages? Are you writing them for the C-level who's not searching for you? Mm. Like really? What C-level searches for vendors? None that I know of, right? I mean, if you're talking about larger companies, right? Nobody does that. They'll delegate that down. So can you write to that persona and meet their needs, right? Right. Um, and and that's that's kind of an interesting mistake a lot of them make. So that, that's one of the first things I would say. Got you. Gotcha. No, I love this because it, 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 it again goes back to what you were saying, being narrow, right? Like you really kind of focus on an analogy we use all the time here on the startup life is like you're playing battleship. You know what I mean? You're not dropping like a big bomb on high, man. Like you're being extremely focused and targeted and what you're doing, uh, especially when you talk about like, you know, writing towards. Uh, that C-level as opposed to maybe uh, that decision maker, maybe under them and stuff like that. And even when I go to your website and startup nation, that website is cascadeinsights.com where they focus on mainly in the tech sector, not just B2B, but B2B in the tech sector. But I wanted to point that out, Sean, for sure. Yeah, no, thanks for doing that. No, thanks no worries. That. And I, I think, and the other, the other thing, um, and this is more of a marketing leadership problem. Sure. Um, in a company that is, you know, marketers in a company that's trying to market a B2B solution is, although some of this is true of B2C, but I, my personal experience is B2B. Right. Marketers have invented a million statistics to cover over the fact they're not generating leads. Mm. Um, you know, like B2B marketers will say, well, that's for brand awareness or that's brand uplift or that's so we're, you know, more visible over here or that's for engagement or whatever. And you know, if you're not actually generating leads with your B2B marketing or your marketing team isn't, just full stop. Right. Because you should look around and say like, wait a minute, is any of this stuff we're tracking actually tied to leads? Does any of this stuff actually generate a lead? It's not that it isn't useful. It's just not, it's it's kind of like the dessert that gets added in. It, it shouldn't be the main dish. And, right. and too often... um. It, it it's a problem. And, and I think there's this kind of um, even almost an inherent bias sometimes in B2B that, uh, you know, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to get, you know, build awareness so sales can do outreach and all this kind of stuff. And I, and I would argue against that. I think it, regardless of the market, you can get leads through your website. You just have to be a lot more specific about it. And kind of a related thing on this is that, um, I'm not anti-social as a general rule, but I do think you have to be very, very circumspect out of what you're getting for social and B2B. Right. Um, B2B sales do tend to have a little more of an intellectual component. There's a lot more detail to share. There is a lot more uh, rationalization about the purchase. There is a lot more people to hit. And so social just will not have quite the same impact. And if somebody's listening is like, hey, it's worked for us, I would say that's cool. But tell me if that social's generated a lead. Mm. Because what I find when I crack the hood on a lot of social campaigns is people are saying like, well, it generated awareness or it generated buzz, or we have, look at all these likes we have, or look at all these retweets. Right. But can you go into Google Analytics or whatever platform you use? And can you see leads going to your lead forms who came in through social? And I would say you're going to find crickets there most of the time. And and that's and, and the other problem with social that makes it doubly hard is that social is kind of fun, right? So, you know, if you had to pick as a marketer, what's the most exciting thing to do? Um, you know, 
write a blog post or do a video-based Facebook campaign. Um, even I'd agree. I'd probably rather do the video-based Facebook campaign. That'd be more fun to go build, right? Right. But like, but the question is, is it is it actually generating leads? And historically, what we've seen is that at best, social has this kind of broader brand lift awareness thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it. It, you don't really see a lot of direct traffic through social. And again, I'm talking about B2B. No, of course. Larger sales in specific, right? Yeah. I mean, B2C, totally different. You can pick an influencer who has sold hair care products and hair dryers and fitness solutions through like their Instagram feed all day long. Like that is a completely different animal. Um, but when it comes to B2B, it's just not a, I, I don't really think it's a huge on-ramp. And I think it can be, if not managed right, something that becomes very gratifying in terms of the engagement and the high fives you're getting, but you got to do that last mile and say like, okay, but does any of this actually drive a lead? Right. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top-20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, Stoutermation, you're in good hands with my girl, CT. So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Right. And, and, and that's that's been my issue with you know, people who are like B2C gurus when I ask them about B2B, because uh, for the past two years, you know, and I ask them, you know, they, they go straight to social media. Like you got to get on social media, build a buzz, this, that, and the other. It's like, yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'm not, I'm not selling t-shirts. I'm not selling pillows, right? I'm not selling, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and and, I'm, and again, like you said, like if, if, if social works, that's fine. That's great. But like I, I find it extremely difficult to find those marketing gurus who talk about, uh, you know, uh, marketing or whatever, and then say you can do B two B on social, right? Like not not that often. It's just not that often. So I definitely understand what you're saying, and you have no idea how much I appreciate uh, what you just said there, Sean, for sure. Yeah, thanks. Well, no, I the um yeah, there's a whole there's a whole market that is basically exists to create a little bit of an illusion mm-hmm. that social can solve everything. Right. Like, right. you know, and I, 
and it's not it's just not real and sometimes sometimes it's just hard to get above the fray i mean like um just look at your average social platform and ask yourself what you use it for right it's right. probably not looking for b2b products more often than that now again there are ways to make it done um, and make it work. I just think they're narrower than, than what people kind of lay out exactly. typically. Exactly. So cool. No, what else do you like? To chat exactly. About? No, that that's definitely where, where I was getting at. And like you said, you know, like you said yourself and I said earlier, it usually just goes uh, crickets uh, when I ask those questions. So I, I really appreciate that. Let me reset real quick. Once again, we are talking to Sean Campbell, the founder and CEO of Cascade Insights. And if you want to know the knowings and goings, uh, at Cascade Insights. Make sure uh, you look at the uh, link in the show notes. That's CascadeInsights.com. Once again, that link is there in the show notes for easy access if you listen to the replay on a podcast. And if you're a tech company and you're needing uh, some help with that, make sure you go uh, not only to the website, but call the number 503-212-0687. Just wanted to make sure I get that in there. So, Sean, let me ask you this, man, because you have an amazing uh, list of clients. I'm looking at Zendesk, IBM, Cisco, uh, Dell, you know, the list of Cloudflare, the list goes on and on. So let's say I get a meeting, right? I get in a meeting, I get to the, you know, uh, and this is like maybe like the, the decision making me, not like the meeting where the meeting to get to the meeting, right? You know, we talk about, you know, uh, boss level status as far as like if this was a movie or a video game or something like that. Uh, but like if I get to the meeting that just makes the decision, right? And, I, and I'm preparing for that pitch, preparing for that presentation. I'm curious about what some pregame work I can do before I even step in that room to make sure I close the deal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I, there, yeah, it's an interesting question. Like there's a lot of things I could say to it. Um, one, and let's, let's frame this right. Cause sure. to your point it's, it's got it. So if we're talking about, this is the meeting before the boss level, well, basically, this, well, th- no, this is kind of like the, like this meeting will decide, well, the decision making is there, right? Like, cause you know how you, okay, some, so this, is the yeah, bo- this, is, this is the boss, this level. is the yeah, boss level yeah. one. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing is you got to make sure that those people in the room know enough about you to kind of explain you correctly. Like one of the things that's unfortunate (laughs) about having other people sell for you kind of in the sense that, you know, they brought you into the meeting is they're never going to remember everything about you. And that seems kind of elemental, but it's almost, it's almost comical the way it really plays out. Like you have to almost fill their head with only like one to three things about you that really matter. Um, It's, it's kind of analogous if you've, watch like as anybody listening this probably has like watched people do conference speeches and somebody goes up and gives this really long flowing biography of the speaker before they talk you've zoned out you're not going to remember any of that and so like uh, you need to have a pretty narrow bio that like they'll remember so i try to prime the people who brought us into that meeting with like this is the thing we do really well here's our bona fides um this is what really matters the other thing I would say that's huge is take control of the meeting. I think when people get to the boss level, they shy back. Mm. And I like that you called it the boss level. That's actually a good way of calling it. And so they get to the boss level and they kind of shy back. They don't, (laughs) they don't have the same aggression and aggressive tendencies they had before. Right. Right. And that's totally wrong because the boss level wants that meeting to be as short as humanly possible. That is true. And, And I think what people do is they do the opposite. 
they kind of like rush into the boss level. They're like, I want to check this out. We're going to have a nice meeting. We're going to take our time. We're going to like tell them everything about us. We've got this huge presentation. I mean, I got to be honest, like even in our firm size, we're 25 people. Mm-hmm. If we hire a vendor, I want that meeting to be as short as possible. If someone else has supposedly vetted the vendor. Right. My, my goal is not to, you know, it, my goal is to not, if they schedule an hour meeting with me, my goal is to make it seven minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to factor that in, like take over the meeting, make sure that you drive specifically at the boss's needs. And, um, and the other thing there that I see people shy away from too, is that they don't actually ask the boss, the boss, the boss and the boss level, um, specific questions. Um, you know, they, they let that person hang back and kind of make their own judgment of what's going on. And that's the worst thing. So I would say, if you sum this up, first thing, make sure the people that brought you into the meeting have like a two sentence understanding of what you're about. Like, cause that's all they're really going to remember. Cause if you give them seven paragraphs, they will pick the worst two sentences out of those paragraphs to say, Hey, I brought in Sean at Cascade Insights. They do and you're like, crud, that is like the worst two sentences you could have picked to explain us. Mm. So give them something simple. The other thing is run that meeting really tight. Don't, don't assume you need the whole hour or like, gosh, we've got this meeting with the boss. I'm going to take the whole hour. Totally wrong move. What I found is that, that high level people absolutely love vendors who end meetings early. Like they love them, which means you get another meeting. Because your goal isn't to just get one meeting and one project. Your goal is to get multiple meetings and multiple projects. So if they sense that you will respect their time and make that meeting quick and efficient, that is like massive. I mean, we honestly have that as a mantra around here. That's like um, pretty much culturally, uh, my sales team, that's what we do. Like we will try to make proposal meetings, et cetera, as short as is reasonable. I mean, obviously you have to spend some time. Uh, but it's absolutely amazing what happens when you take a senior room full of people and you get everything done in 19 minutes instead of 30. And you say, you know what? We're done. You guys get 11 minutes back to check your email. Mm. You you could almost hear like joy and unicorns and rainbows and fireworks going off. They're like, oh, my God, you <laughs> right. like gave me like that. You didn't just trap me in this room. Right. Right. And um, and that, that it, it's such a subtle, but it's amazingly powerful thing. And, um, and then that final thing, just about asking direct questions. Like, I think sometimes everybody's afraid to ask the boss direct questions. And if I see a senior person in the room within like two minutes of that meeting starting, I ask them a direct question. And what's always funny about that is if you had like a pulse meter on everybody else in the room, you have to just deal with the fact that that's going to go up 20 points, right? The minute you turn and ask their boss a question, Everybody that brought you into the room, like if they literally had a pulse meter on him, it went up 20. But that's what he's there for or she's there for. You got to ask him a direct question. You don't wait till the very end of the meeting and then they weigh in and you haven't been able to shape anything. So I don't know if that's the kind of stuff you were looking for, but that's been my experience. No, that, that that's what I was looking for. And, and you know, I mean, which is your experience, right? Because I'm always curious about like, you know, like. You know, every everybody has a strategy, right? Everybody has a, you know, everybody has a doctrine which kind of, you know, formulates their strategy. You know what I mean? So I'm just curious about, you know, just got to get in your head a little bit as far as like when it time when it's time to, you know, close that deal, what the game plan is and stuff like that. The way Sean sees it, so now that makes that makes complete sense for me. So I so I really appreciate that. Excellent. So I got a I got a 
you know, uh, ask you this as well, because I want to get a, a a sense of how you lead company culture and, and build up your 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 team there at Cascade Insights and stuff like that. But I'm related to something here. So I know you went to uh, Loyola, you know, uh, Chicago. Right. And they're kind of having a sweet little tournament run here. Right. Uh, in, in basketball. And, and so everybody knows about Sister Jean and stuff like that. Me, these rousing prayers and stuff like that. So I guess I'm curious, man, if I were to ask somebody uh, at, at Cascade, man, like, hey, how who is Sean? Is Sean like Sister Jean where he rouse up the troops or is he more like just the, the, the silent motivator? Is he the lead by example? What would they tell me, Sean? That's a good question. One thing about Loyola um, that's really funny is um, I did go there, mm-hmm. but um, I went there when they they didn't have a decent basketball <laughs> team. I remember I I went there from 91 to 93. And um, I vividly remember this, like on the gym, the like the uh, the rec gym, the rec gym that was on campus. Right. right? They had a big sign that was clearly weathered uh, that said NCAA champions, 1963. <laughs> so, right. you know, it had been a while. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up a Cubs fan, so I understand futility gotcha. until recently, but like, <laughs> but, but, but so I, I, you know, it taught me patience, but, right. but the, but yeah, no, it's, it's a fair point. I mean, and the sister Jean story is awesome. And yeah, I think it's great. Those, I mean, what, this is a side, but one of the things about, um, I mean, one of the most exciting things about college sports, I think, and I think almost anybody would agree is like the team like them that comes kind of out of nowhere. Right. And gets farther down. I mean, we, oh, the, sure. the powerhouses are fun to watch in any sport, but right. it's, it's always, but it's underdog comes from like nowhere to somewhere. Right. That's always a lot of fun. Absolutely. And, but I would say for me, um, I, I, I would honestly think it's probably something around like a teacher. Uh, my biggest that. thing about culture is, is you have to apprentice people. And I think, unfortunately, as much as I love teaching and training, um, I think training has been somewhat abused in most corporate environments, mm. meaning we, we do a quick job of putting them in a two week training class and we throw them out on the floor and and throughout all human civilization, and, and I love training and I love teaching and I love classrooms, but throughout all civilization, we apprentice people. That's what we actually did, you know, and, and I think it's a mixture of organizations not having the patience for it and not having the structure for it and um, leaders not being given the time to do it. And, and when you do do it, um, I think you receive just massive benefits all the way around because realistically, right. You bring somebody on board to a company and you've got people in the company that have been in the sector for 20 years, whatever industry or vertical that is. And then you've got other people who like are new to the company. I mean, you can't pour all that knowledge into somebody in just like a two day training program. Right. And so like, I think you need to create structures where people can really apprentice the people underneath them and do that over an extended period of time. And so that, that's what I think people would say. I, I love making sure people are educated and are learning stuff all the time. And uh, we do like a regular book club around here with like everybody on sales and marketing. Um, we use a platform called Guru. Um, it's, it, if you look that up, you might not find it. It's called Get Guru. Um, and it's a great knowledge management solution for inside the company. Uh, you know, we're really passionate 
Uh, some of that comes because we do a lot of market research. So like we, we're always sense. learning about the sector we're in anyway. Right. But 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 some of it is just, I think, the way we're wired. And um, so I I love I love spending time teaching people stuff or trying to figure out ways that they can um, learn about us or the market or that kind of stuff. That That's probably the best thing I would hope people would say about me. I hear that. You know, and, and I definitely uh, appreciate that. You know, professional development is super uh, important and 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 that constant you know uh, my uh, rabbi likes to say this all the time he calls it the spiral of learning right like there's always continuous learning but like even even like reading one text at 20 and then reading that same text at 30 has a totally different meaning because uh you know clearly you've went through some experiences and stuff like that and so that teaching part that you talk about just now really resonates with me. So I appreciate that. Uh, and before I ask the last question, man, cause I know you got to get out of here and, and close some deals and stuff like that. I just want to say, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your value and your time, man. And once again, startup nation, we've been talking to Sean Campbell, founder and CEO of cascade insights. And if you want to check out everything uh, he's got going on, or if you're a tech company and in need of his services, make sure you go to cascadeinsights.com. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast, man. So look, man, I'm actually just going to turn the microphone over to you, Sean, because look, with everything going on, it's a crazy world out there. Just give us some words of encouragement to take us out for the day, if you don't mind, good sir. Sure, sure. Well, I would say um, the biggest thing I could probably say is just keep learning. And what I mean by that is learn about things you don't always immediately agree with. Um, I think one of the things that I have always focused on, and I'm not perfect like anybody else, is if I believe something strongly, I go read things that disagree with me. Um, we need more of that in our business leaders. We need more of that just in general, I think. Um, you know, we do get a little too siloed. I mean, it's one thing to be age of narrow so people know who you are. Right. But when it comes to your own learning and your own experience, experiences. Um, you know, if you're a fan of a given news network, intentionally go listen to the other one. If you're a real big fan of a certain marketing tactic, go read a book that talks up the other one. Right. Um, if you, you know, love a certain sales process, go read, you know, if you believe cold calling is dead, read a book on cold calling. I think cold calling is dead, but I'd still go read a book on cold calling. Maybe right. there's something I don't know. Um, you know, I think, I think we get too siloed in what we learn, which is very different than asking for someone to have a narrow set of capabilities to do a very specific thing for us that matters a great deal to us. And I think we have to kind of keep that in balance. And, and that's what I would tell people to do. You know, there's um, around the whole country, as we record this, there are still a lot of people who are not going to get to get out in the way they want. Right. So while you're waiting, Go read some stuff you disagree with. Go go learn some stuff you've never tried to go learn. And um, maybe you'll look back at at all this time and say, well, you know, it wasn't what I would have wanted in a perfect world. But, you know, I, I was able to at least find some blessings in the midst of all of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I definitely understand and appreciate that. And I understand. And I also appreciate the duality of our conversation going from 
being narrow when it comes to the marketing and stuff like that, but also in your personal life, being a little bit more flexible. And I definitely agree with being willing to have things that challenge uh, maybe some norms or beliefs that you have for sure. And I appreciate that. And that's going to wrap up this session of the startup. Like we want to once again, thank Sean Campbell, founder and CEO of Cascade Insights. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, man. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on a show, send us a message. Our contact information is there in the show notes, or feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Go ahead and follow us while you're at it. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and be sure to hit us with that five-star rating. We would really appreciate that. Be sure to check out the show's website and its startup blog, where either I or some of the world's best business minds share content that will give you the edge you need in your journey, whether that's the path of entrepreneurship or climbing the corporate ladder. Subscribe to our Patreon to listen to ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and digital products that we are beginning to offer. And if you want to be part of the conversation, join the Startup Life podcast on Clubhouse to have the ability to talk directly to some of our guests. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.